Fun is good, isn't it? Man, I cannot tell you how many people I've talked to that say, I need more fun in my life. As Christians, as those who carry the name of Jesus, we should be having a party all the time. It should be fun all the time. So I, I pray for that this morning here, that we, we just have a good time with, with him. Well, we have been going through the book of Hebrews. How many have been reading the book of Hebrews um, as we've been going along? Okay, how many have not been reading the book of Hebrews? <laughs> no one's going <laughs> to... Just kidding. Um, not really. Read it, please. Um, no. Uh, if you'd open your Bibles, first off, uh, if you have them. If not, there's an insert with the passage that we're going to go through this morning. Um, we're going to go through Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And this really is the first part of a big passage in chapter 3, but we're going to take it a little bit at a time. And so we'll have the first six verses today. But just to recap where we have been, Hebrews is one of my favorite books in the Bible, and it's, it's hard to pick favorites because it's all God. <laughs> but it's one that connects with where we're at because the author, who we don't know, we don't know who the author is, is writing to a group of uh, Christian Jews, okay, people that believe in Jesus, who are coming to a point with challenges and persecution and other things where they're going to their default mode. They're going back to what they know. How many of you, when you face challenges... Knowing Jesus or not, because we all do this, go to your default modes, because you know how to survive in your default mode. You know how to go to your counterfeit comforts and, and bad habits. I mean, we all know how to do that, right? So when challenges come, we kind of go to this default mode. So the, the writer of Hebrews is engaging a group of people with this letter, and calling it a letter is generous. It is more of an exhortation. It's more of um, a challenge that is, is being set forth to not settle for less than what God has for us, and that's Jesus. And so, in the first chapter, we focused on uh, the, who Jesus is. And there's a laundry list of who he is, things of, that make up who he is. And it is overwhelming. If we were actually had the ability to comprehend infinity, God's uncreated nature, who Jesus is, you, oh. I mean, we don't even know what to do with it right now. It's just so massive. And what we learned is that Jesus is, in fact, God. And, I, and I got, we got to make sure we understand that. Now, last week, Sharon did a wonderful job at unpacking a very large passage. And what we came away with that is that Jesus is qualified as Savior because he is trustworthy. Where we put our trust is more the issue than... Do we trust or do we not trust? It's about, is a person trustworthy or not? And everything we see up to that point shows us why Jesus is trustworthy. And that there's no reason for us not to trust him. But, they ha- but the writer has to keep bringing this up because what happens when your mind starts going to default mode? You need something to intervene, don't you? You need a reminder. You need kind of... You know, as my grandma would say growing up, a slap in the back of the head, right? Like, wake up, wake up. Well, today, oh, and let me back up, sorry, let me back up. And one of the things that um, we talked about is that Jesus is greater than what? What? Moses, well, that's today, don't jump ahead. Last week, the last few weeks, what was Jesus is greater than whom? Angels. 
Now, the writer here is brilliant because remember, this is a Jewish culture. This is a group of people that have their foundations on the law, on the experiences of, of past prophets and, and their people. And we see angels as a big part of that. And so angels is something that they would revere, knowing that they're from God. But come on, if we saw an angel, we'd be talking about it forever, right? Some of us have seen them and we talk about them and share about them. Right? And so it's something, it's a big deal. And so the writer presents Jesus in a way that says, okay, you know these angels that you guys love and think are great and they do all these wonderful things? Here's what they're for, and guess who they're sent by? Jesus. Because Jesus is indeed, is in fact God. So Jesus is greater than angels. Well, today, okay, good. This was not working last time, so I'm hoping and praying it works this time. So, Lord, we just pray that technology would work today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, and that kind of threw me off. All right, so today we're going to talk about another pillar in the, Jew- the Jewish community in which the Jews hold in high, almost highest esteem, and that's Moses. Moses is a guy who is an all-star hero, I mean, things of legend, but he's real. And so the, the, the writer is, say, is picking out the things that we hold up or the people then held up in high esteem and is making the case that Jesus is greater than all of these things and all of these people you could possibly put up on a pedestal. And so Moses was one of the key guys. You had a Moses, Elijah, and David, and all those, those three guys are like, you know, the created trinity in the sense of like the guys that, that the Jewish culture really reveres. But Moses, he's the big one. Now, when we think of Moses, we have a different understanding. We read the scriptures, and, and we can get a sense of what he was like, who he was, what he did. But remember, when you have a culture that has that has been um, saturated with Moses and who he is and what God did in him and through him, they're going to have an even more intimate, intimate understanding of him than we will. So I was uh, kind of looking for images that would kind of give a good understanding of what, how they may have seen him. So when we look at Moses here, what do you see? Tell me what you see. This is interactive. The Ten Commandments, Okay. What? Fire in your wrath. Fire and wrath. Okay, what else? Lightning. Yeah. Yeah, okay, step. What about is, is this the Charlton Heston? <laughs> well, yeah, but no, I mean, it's not. I mean, what do you see? What do you see about the posture? What do you see about his face? What do you see? Power. What? Authority. What? Anger, maybe. Right? Could that expression maybe be defined as intensity? We could probably interpret that any way we want. But what else do you see? Courageous. Do we have any guitar players in here? Raise your hand if you're a guitar player. Raise your hand if you like watching guitar players. Okay? What kind of stance is he in? He's in a power stance, right? He's ready for action. Does he kind of look like a biblical superhero? The way he's drawn, right? The way he's illustrated? Kind of comic-ish? 
That's because that would probably be the equivalent of what he kind of represented. Here's this guy who was faithful to the Lord. Yeah, did he make his mistakes? Yeah, sure he did. But he, he in their minds, is qualified, right? Is qualified. And we're going to look here in just a second and see what makes him qualified. But let's take a, a look at the first two verses here in chapter 3. Now, this is following, when we hear, and so, or in other translations, therefore, this is connecting to the previous verses. And what we saw was, again, what Sharon presented as far as God being trustworthy for us to put our trust in him. It says uh, in verse 13, I will put my trust in him, that is, I and the children God has given me. Okay, so he is trustworthy. But the last verse that we have, and I love this because this talks about Jesus as fully human in addition to be fully divine. In verse 18 of chapter 2, um, the writer says this, Since Jesus he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. So this is one of the things that makes Jesus qualified, is that he's gone through it all. Which is why he's trustworthy. So what we see here is off of that, Therefore, and so, dear brothers and sisters, who belong to God and are partners with those called to heaven, Think carefully about Jesus, about this Jesus, whom we declare to be God's messenger and high priest. For he was faithful to God who appointed him, just as Moses served faithfully when he was entrusted with God's entire house. Okay, think about Jesus. Is that not how the chapter starts? Think of this Jesus. So, I want us to begin thinking about Jesus, say, Lord, what do you want to say to me, and how do you want me to respond? Those two questions that we ask uh, every day. Think about him. Now, the, the authors take it right to Jesus, even before you hear Moses, right? Think about Jesus. He's setting this up for us, whom we declare to be the messenger and high priest, okay? Now, for he was faithful to God who appointed him, just as Moses served faithfully when he was entrusted with God's entire house. Now, if you were to read just these two verses without any context of anything else around it, any other verses, it would almost seem as if Moses and Jesus were on similar playing fields, would it not? Jesus was faithful to God who appointed him just as Moses served faithfully. He was entrusted with God's entire house. Okay, doesn't it seem like they're on similar playing fields in these two verses? Now, the writer loves to throw butts in there. But, 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 Moses with this, but, and pretty much Jesus is better, right? What we have here, though, is an opportunity to kind of look at the resume of Moses. Now, when you think of Moses, what are some things that you think about as far as successes? Leading the Hebrews out of slavery in Egypt. That's a huge one, right? I mean, freedom, that's a big one. Put that up there. What else? What? Miracles. Miracles, absolutely. When we think about the miracles, some of the ones I think of, the ten plagues, yikes. Right? That's some major clout he's carrying with him, right? Taking that staff and doing some things, you know, it's like, Ten plagues? What else? The Ten Commandments. So the law. He scribed the law. 
which is foundational for the culture we're talking about. What else? There's an, what? Murder. Okay, well, yeah, I wouldn't call that a success, but yeah, that's one of the things he did, right? Yeah. No, it did lead him, it did lead him into the direction of God, so I guess you can spin it that way, absolutely. And where did that lead him to? Right, and what did he see that was on fire? A burning bush. That's crazy, right? All right, but uh, there's one more I'm looking for, I'll be honest, I'm looking for one. What? He's... Spoke with God. That's huge. I love this. Here's... Thank you. Whoa. That's a big one, right? Parting the Red Sea. Anyone see uh, Bruce Almighty? He parts his tomato juice or his coffee or whatever that is. Yeah, he parts the Red Sea. And, and a number of other things, right? You just go on and on and on and on, probably. And you could probably, if you were, if you were to... If you were to make a list of the reasons why Moses is qualified to be as revered as he is, you could probably come up with a pretty extensive list. Even in the midst of his mistakes, his successes of saying yes to the Lord, being faithful to the Lord, probably outweigh those. Pretty extensive list. And then you do a list for Jesus. It's really, really, really short. It's really short. Son of God, done. (laughs) Right? I mean, that's son of God, done. Anyone heard of the comedian Brian Regan? Anyone heard of him? He does this wonderful thing where he shares a story about a a group of people he was talking to that always want to trump someone else's story. Right? Have you ever done that? You share a story and someone goes, that's nothing. Wait till you hear this. How affirmed and validated do you feel around those kind of people? And I'm one of those people that that has, like, jumped in and gone, no. Let me tell you something. Here's the story, right? And this is kind of what we see the writer do. Here's Moses, and here's, here's the trumping, but I got a better story for you. And this is where it's appropriate. Because remember, there's a group of people that are going to their default. They need to know. They need to get ingrained into their minds that they are the people of God and that Jesus is the one who has set them free that Jesus is God and Lord of their lives. It needs to be. So Jesus, just by Son of God, is more qualified than Moses. And then we look in the book of John, and, and at the end of the, John, he says, what about Jesus? He says, the things that I'm reporting here are nothing compared to what he's done. In a short time, in those three years, is explained as it could fill more pages in every book in the world. It outweighs, it goes beyond the grains of sand you can count. Now, yes, that's creative language being used, but it's to get the concept across that what Jesus did in just three years far outweighs anything anyone's done combined put together for the name of God. In three years. Have you ever tried to count sand in your hand, even a little dollop of it? After 12, you're like dizzy, and you're like, I can't get all this. Just imagine, just imagine. And no one really answered that question. I want you, it's not rhetorical. How many of you tried to count sand before? Anybody? Nobody? Well, it's Minnesota, I forget. Yeah, only the other California guy here. I'm a Minnesotan, though. I'm not a Californian. But yeah, 
It, it, it outweighs anything you can possibly comprehend. So making a list against Jesus would be pointless. Verse 3, but Jesus deserves far more glory than Moses, just as a person who builds a house deserves more praise than the house itself. For every house has a builder, but the one who built everything is God. So here we see again, if everything, was, everything that was built is built by whom? God, right? For every house has a builder, but the one who built everything is God. But Jesus deserves far more glory than Moses, just as a person who builds the house is deserving more praise. Which is saying, the writer saying here, Jesus is in fact God. He deserves the glory of the house builder. Because he himself is God. Now, let's get to this. There's an interesting word in there. It's called glory. Glory. Let me say it again. Glory. Moses has had his encounters with glory. Has he not, those of you that know? Exodus 33. He's speaking to the Lord, and he, the Lord tells him that his favor is upon him, but Moses wants more favor, and he wants to be proved to the people he's leading. And he says, I want to see you. face I want to see you. I want to know you. And I love that. That's daring, isn't it? Hey, I want your favor, God, and I want... I want you to reveal yourself more fully to me. So God puts him in a cleft in a rock. He puts his hand on him, and he says, if you see my face, you'll die. But when I pass by, I'll let you see my glory from the back. And so Moses sees God's glory. That doesn't happen very often at this time. So how do you think Moses is seen in the Hebrew community? We get, we, get the, we get the passage that, you know, his glory, his face was full of God's glory that he had to put a veil on. And then we see when Jesus comes, the veil was what? Torn. We with unveiled faces. Because Jesus, as we see in verse 3 of chapter 1 in Hebrews, is the glory, the very glory of God. Not just the face full of it. He is the very glory. Very glory and character of God. Verse 3, the sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. He is God's glory. So Moses got a little piece of it, and Jesus is it. He is glory because he is God. Let that sink in for a second. Whose name do you carry on your in your heart. And if we are his house, he dwells within us. So what does that say? There's a reason why scripture says we with unveiled faces because we walk in Jesus, we walk in the very glory of God. And it's not to be hidden, it's to be seen, it's to be known, it's to be experienced. Only Jesus can do that. Moses could not do that. So there's another comparison here where the writer jumps into Moses' story and goes, boom. Here's the trump card. Moses saw some glory. Jesus is glory. That's crazy (laughs) when you really think about it. Verse 5, Moses was certainly faithful. Certainly was. No argument about that. We know he was. 
Moses was certainly faithful in God's house as a servant. So we're told what he is. His work was an illustration to the truths God would reveal later through whom? Jesus. His work, all the things that Moses did was an illustration to point to Jesus. Which says Jesus is way greater than Moses. But Christ as the Son is in charge of God's entire house. He has authority over all of it. And we, you, me, we are God's house. If we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ Jesus. All right, this is where I want to camp a little bit more intentionally here. Is that, and we are God's house if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ Jesus. When we look at a more literal translation, it's not the word courage there, it's boasting in Christ Jesus. To boast. When I say that word to boast, what do you think of? Go ahead. Prideful. Bragging. But arrogant. What else? Is there a positive connotation or negative connotation to this? When you hear boasting, you look at it in a positive light? No. Guess what? It is in this context. It is in this context. When we think about boasting, the reason why we don't like it, it's because someone is inflating their own reality. When they inflate their own reality, they're fooling themselves and trying to fool us. And we're like, they're boastful, they're arrogant, they're prideful, they're this. And so we look at it in a negative context. Because if I were to sit here and go, I'm the best preacher in the world. I'm boasting, and you know that's not true. Because it's subjective, right? It's not, you don't, we don't know. And so that comes, man, he is arrogant. He is boastful. He's bragging, and he shouldn't because he's inflating himself beyond, and sorry, Patriot fans, for using that word. I just realized I keep saying inflated and deflating, and it's not a good thing. <laughs> totally unintentional, by the way. But understand this. You can never inflate God enough. We should be boasting about the hope we have in Christ Jesus because he's worthy to be boasted about. And you still won't even come close to the reality of who he is. You won't come close. Because he's far greater than our human understanding. That's why he says boast, because that's, that's the most aggressive tactic we can take, right? I mean, those of us, like when I first, when I, when I first, uh, we first had Gracie into the world and, and she was doing crazy stuff, I was bragging about it all the time. Sheesh. I was like, you know what my girl did? She did blah, 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 blah. Yeah, right. Yeah, you do. Well played, Dave. Well played. I can't help it, though, right? You can't help it. We love bragging about our kids, even when they do stupid stuff. We talk about it. We endorse them. Because they're ours. Because they give us great joy. Because we love them without limits. Jesus loves us without limits, and we should be loving him without limits. And when we do, we should be boasting because we can't help it. 
And these people are being told, you need to intentionally do it. You need to get in the practice of boasting about the hope we have in Christ Jesus. And it's more than, now I'm not saying this is wrong, it's just more than just proclaiming with the lips. It's more than just saying, Jesus is this, that's part of it. But the best boasting we can do is the way that we live out the salvation, that we live out that king who lives within us, the son of God who lives within us, who is God. How we live out the glory of God is the best way that we can boast about the glory of God. It's how we live. It's how we engage people. How we engage our own hurts and our pains and the conflict in our lives. I promised myself I wasn't going to do this, but I lied to myself. So, um, Sharon, myself, and some of the other staff went to a, uh, a worship time on Thursday morning at Redeemer Lutheran Church with some friends around the Ark, the Alliance of Renewal Churches, which we partner with, just to worship and hear a, an encouraging word. And the man that brought an encouraging word is a friend of ours who just lost his wife a year ago. And I'm not, I'll never forget when he first, he was talking about how do you handle loss? And he's explaining us all the things that happened up to this point. And they were tough, tough things. And many of you can relate to those kind of things. And some of the people that tried to encourage him weren't very encouraging. Sometimes we don't know what to say and we see more hurtful things than we want to, you know. And we're hearing him tell this story, but he says this, God is good. Now, we've heard that phrase, right? We've heard Jesus loves you. We've heard these things. And one of the most dangerous things we can do as a Christian culture is take the deep, most fundamental truths of God and make them bumper stickers. And I don't mean that like if you have a bumper sticker that's bad. I'm saying the concept of they become a cliche and less of a reality. That's great to say. God is good. What does that mean to me? And he painted a picture of why God is good. And he boasted about it in the midst of heartache. And he showed it, not just with his words, but his very presence to say, let me invite you into my pain and let me invite you into my joy. That is boasting about the hope we have in Christ Jesus. When we go further into this text, you're going to see this. Or as we continue to let it soak in our minds. Is that Moses can only be referred to in the past tense. Moses can only be referred to in the past tense. Let that sink in for a minute. Jesus is our present, our past, our future. He's alive. He's moving. He's speaking truth. He's speaking grace. He's speaking healing. He's transforming. See, Moses represented, and this is what I believe the writer is getting to, is the law. And the law is only a part, a part of the narrative of our story with Jesus. It's just a part of it. The law points out our sin. It makes us aware of our sin, right? You do something wrong, you're very aware <laughs> especially in that culture. Think about the woman caught in adultery. She's about to be stoned to death. She's very aware she did something sinful. 
But then Jesus says, I'm the fulfillment of the law. And now there's forgiveness from that sin. Now there's new life out of death. So the comparison is not even a comparison. And the writer's saying, how, how can you even compare the two? You can't. Yes, Moses was great. He was faithful. But let him be what he was. Don't make him something greater than he is. Let angels be what they are and not make them greater than what they are. And let Jesus be who he is and don't diminish him. We'll raise up the wrong thing and diminish the right thing. We have um, so many cliches and so many things that we cover ourselves up with. If we want to live a life that boasts about the hope of Jesus, then we have to allow Jesus to be seen. And that means we engage him and allow him to chip away those things. You know, for me, it was like growing up in a Christian home, I put up all these things thinking that they were necessary. And we all do that in our own way of what is necessary. Well, I've got to have a three-point sermon because if I don't do that, I'm doing it wrong. If I don't spend every waking minute in this church building, I'm not a good pastor. If I don't do this or if I don't do that or if I do this and I, you know, I... You begin to put those things on, and then when it comes to the simple question, do you know that you are infinitely and the most deeply kind of loved by God that you can possibly imagine, we'll go, yeah, but we don't know because we put all this stuff on. And so it becomes challenging to boast about Jesus when we have just covered him up in our own hearts. We know he's there, but it's... We need to engage him so that he can begin to chip away those things. So that we can even see and identify what Jesus is doing in such a way that we boast about him. Because some of us, let's be honest, we can hear a message like this, but we don't know how to go about boasting. We know there's things to boast about, but we have, are, we're so cluttered inside. Whether it was intentional or unintentional, there's so much stuff there And we desperately, desperately want to be able to experience the love of God in its fullness. But we need to keep engaging him so that he can chip away those things. And then you can see, yeah, I may have lost my spouse, but guess what? There's hope in Christ Jesus. He had to go through his stuff. He had to allow God to chip away at him so he could say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. My my parents showed up this morning service they just moved in about six seven months ago to from california and my dad is a pastor that has experienced a lot of brokenness in his life and he's got parkinson's and so he it's affecting him in a way where he's crying at everything (laughs) you know tell me about a commercial and he's bawling and it's like a budweiser commercial (laughs) but he heard the word today and he said i have a word and you just test it And I want to share it with you because I thought it was good. He said, I'm getting a picture of a chisel. And then he starts crying. (laughs) And I'm waiting. Chisel, chisel, chisel. Maybe I can go ahead of him before, you know, we're going to be here all day. But he gets it out. And this is what I believe the Lord is saying us today. When we hear a word like this and we're boasting, we're called to boast about the hope we have in Christ Jesus. I think God does want us to engage him so he can chip away things. And 
the picture was this. Michelangelo taking that, that piece of marble and he chipped away and what was underneath? We, had that, we have that statue of David. And it's not about David though. It's not about David. When you see that beautiful masterpiece, it's about the one who took, who saw the marble, who saw the unformed image of who we could be and chipped away until they saw it, until it was there. And now we go, that's the most beautiful thing. God wants to chip away at our stuff so that we can boast about him, so that we can say he is the greatest. And that's not bragging. That's in an unhealthy way. That's declaring what is the reality. Because the reality is you can't boast about him enough. You can't describe him even more clearly than you can see in the life of Jesus. So he is worthy. He is worthy. He is worthy to be praised. He is worthy to be boasted about. And we want this to be a safe place that we can engage Jesus and allow him to chip away at those things. Can you imagine a world where we boast about the hope we have in Jesus? And I'm not talking parachute evangelism. I'm not talking just going on street corners. I'm not diminishing those things. I'm saying beyond that, go deeper, go further. Allowing it to hit your very core, the very essence of your being. And we cannot do that. We cannot do that. Unless we begin with this fundamental reality that we are one and only first call before anything happened, before the fall happened, was to be loved by God. It's not a cliche. It's not elementary. What did Jesus want with Adam and Eve before the fall? What do you want? just want to be with him. Let me love you. Let me love you. Because if you do that, everything else will take care of itself. You're going to go where I go. You're going to love the people I put in front of you. Because you love me because you are loved. I will not, as long as I'm here, to the best of my ability, allow us to ever forget that. Because if we go on to try and be this church or that church or whatever, and we forget that we are a people dearly and infinitely loved by God, then we're doing everything in vain. We cannot afford to miss the love of God because the love of God, the love that he has for us because of who he is, is what we boast about. The things that he's done comes from his love for us. And so instead of just boasting about the things that he's done, let's just boast about the fact that we ourselves are deeply loved before anything else happens. And nothing, no decision, no person, no expectation, no situation, no type of persecution can ever take that love away from you and I. That is what makes Jesus greater than Moses or anybody else. Period. Let's pray. Mm, Lord, you're good. And just being honest with you, God, I pray that um, and ask you that the things that we do in this place together are never in vain. That's just not another message. It's not another worship song. It's not just another prayer time. 
But everything that we do comes out of that place of being loved by you. And that we would allow each time that we're together, and, and when we're not, to be an opportunity to be loved more deeply, allow ourselves to be more, loved deeply, more deeply loved by you and to love more deeply the others around us. We ask that you continue to make this a safe place. And I'm not talking the building. I'm talking about your house, your people. You continue to make us a safe place for one another. Because there's not, we can't overinflate you. You just, there's just more and more and more and more and more of you. And we want more and more and more of you. We want more of your healing. We want more of your grace and mercy. We want to receive it more. So I just ask as we continue in our time of worship that we would ponder on those things. That you'd help us identify the things in our life that come from you, of who you are in our life, worth boasting about. And that you'd give us the courage to do that. Not just how we say or speak about you, but how we live you. Not live for you, not live like you, but we live you. Because we want your glory to be seen. We don't want to cover up the glory. We want it to be seen. Because that's the ultimate way about bragging about you. Is allow your glory to be seen in our lives. And so I, I ask Jesus as we go into this time of offering, that as we step into what it means to give to you, we'd allow your glory to be seen. As we enter a time of communion where we'll come down as families and friends to partake, that we'd allow your glory to be seen. When we worship, we wouldn't be afraid to allow your glory to be seen. We wouldn't be afraid anymore. So we thank you, Lord. We ask we wouldn't be afraid to allow you chip away the pieces that may prevent us from seeing you fully. You don't want us to settle just for the back of you to get a piece of your glory. You want us to be fully enveloped in the life of Jesus so that we are walking in glory daily. So we thank you, Lord. I, pr- I pray that we would engage this time of worship in a way we have never done before. And those wouldn't be just words, but reality. You're good. You're good. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.